Hello, everyone. Since this is either a highlight, a standalone book, or the first episode in a series, I'm jumping in to remind you what the rules are for this podcast. First rule is no real people stories. That means that any details from our own lives are merely anecdotal. We do not read books about real people, and we are not reading historical fiction. The second rule is that we are basing our analyses off of how the author treats characters and what they put them through. We are not judging the accuracy of the trauma, the accuracy of any actual conditions that may be portrayed, nor the authenticity of a character's reaction to that trauma or that particular condition. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The hosts are not trained professionals, and their opinions come solely from personal experience. In this episode, we discuss fictional depictions of trauma and violence that may not be suitable for all audiences. Please take care of yourselves. Specific content warnings for each episode can be found in the show notes. Events in the media are discussed in approximate order of escalation. This episode contains spoilers. And I'm Robin, and this episode on Books That Burn, we are discussing A Blade So Black by L.L. McKinney. From the publisher, we have the book synopsis. The first time the nightmares came, it nearly cost Alice her life. Now she's trained to battle monstrous creatures in the dark dream realm known as Wonderland with magic weapons and hardcore fighting skills. Yet even warriors have a curfew. Life in real-world Atlanta isn't always so simple, as Alice juggles an overprotective mom, a high-maintenance best friend, and a slipping GPA, keeping the nightmares at bay is turning into a full-time job. But when Alice's handsome and mysterious mentor is poisoned, she has to find the antidote by venturing deeper into Wonderland than she's ever gone before, and she'll need to use everything she's learned in both worlds to keep from losing her head. Literally. Yeah. Uh, so... That's uh, also the short version is a uh, I black girl in Atlanta uh, is Alice from Alice in Wonderland and fights monsters. And it's really cool. Uh, and now we're going to talk about the stressful stuff in the book. Um, All right. And <clears throat> the first topic. First topic is PTSD. The book doesn't ever literally say that this is what her mom has, but it is entirely reasonable from the everything, including the systemic racism, uh, that part of her mom's reactions are likely driven by either PTSD or CPTSD. Um, so what we're looking at here, we, and we say this, we're not psychiatrists. Yeah. We are not talking about the the things that have traumatized her mom Mm -hmm. we are going to talk about in a moment uh about her mother's treatment of her and what is happening there from a a reader perspective but i do want to note um the reasons we are labeling this ptsd is because we have a 
not a change in the mom's behavior necessarily, but a, a tightening in her behavior um, that Alice comments on and notices. And it stems from the police uh, murder of a black girl down the street. Around Alice's age. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. Within a year, I think they said. Um, and that's not she's not the only one. There's a they Alice inter- internally monologues at several moments about the atmosphere created in their neighborhood by that police force and the way that it's they treat the residents. But after this girl's death, her mom's behavior becomes stricter and almost meaner and, you know, a a lot more of like, just almost panicked (laughs) with regards to Alice and where she is, which is a problem when our main character is like literally off in dreamland fighting Mm -hmm. things and coming home with injuries maybe or maybe not you know but coming home tired coming home late coming home you know being gone for sometimes a couple days at a time with no warning and yeah you know that's that's terrifying for her mother and like just a real quick thing on the way that the setting interacts with this it is an explicit connection in the book that the reason the nightmares are so bad where alice lives is at least partly because of the systemic racism and um, police brutality against her mostly black neighborhood. Like that's a specific thing in the book, which is like um, from a world building perspective, it's like really cool and cohesive and stuff. But that that's one of the things going into like the setup for um, her mom behaving this way and having this particular level of stress. Right. And I think She's like a really, really well written parent of a hero who's got to go do hero <laughs> yeah. stuff. Especially when in this book, she doesn't know about the hero stuff. She just knows that her kid keeps not answering the phone yeah. for 24 hours at a time, which would stress most parents out, <laughs> let alone one who has the extremely reasonable fear that Alice not answering the phone means that she's dead. Which, in in her mother's defense, for reasons that she doesn't know, is an actual, you know, has maybe another potential cause, because she could die in Wonderland. Like, that's a real thing, too. So, you know, (laughs) she knowingly and unknowingly, these fears are very, very solidly founded. (laughs) Right, yeah. Like, even not knowing about Dream, about, like, not knowing about Wonderland, her mom is completely justified. And if she knew about Wonderland, she would be slightly more justified um, <laughs> in yeah. in a lot of her reactions. Um, and I I like how, like, it's from Alice's perspective, yeah. but I, I like how it makes, it portrays her mom as, like, controlling but understandable like throughout Alice keeps thinking about how like she knows this is why her mom is behaving the way Mm -hmm. she is and having the restrictions that she does and it's um kind of this like classic protagonist thing of like all right I know why we're all doing what we're doing (laughs) but I can't stop and actually she considers stopping um at one point partly because of this and like the effect that it's having and yeah um all the stress with her mom it's like it really impacts it but um if i remember correctly in the second book we get a little bit more of her mom's perspective but um 
But not the book we're talking about today. Nope, not the book we're talking about. Just like in terms of like series trajectory, I'm really excited for the third book. Ready, ready for that to be out. So, so <laughs> talking about her mom, what is actually mm-hmm. going on here? So, her mother, um, I'm trying to remember her mom's name. Do we get a name or is it just mom? It's Alice's internal thought, so it's very justified to be just mom, but. I. Don't I'm not sure, actually. Call a name for her mom. I mean, it's um, it's her her child thinking the entire time, right, so right. it's fine. If not, I just I don't remember. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, okay, going with mom. <laughs> so, yep. Her mom has this thought, <laughs> hope, um, that if she just tells alice to be somewhere or um you know if she just grounds her hard enough her mm-hmm. daughter will stop disappearing basically mm-hmm. and it's and i'm phrasing it that way very intentionally it's mm-hmm. it's this so parentally i mean you know parenting's hard especially if you're trying to get a particular result <laughs> like you know, yeah. people people by nature need independence and need, you know, agency in their own lives. But it 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 very the text comes across, at least to me as a reader, like Alice's mom doesn't feel like she has that agency in her own life to guarantee her own safety or her child's safety. And yeah. she reacts by just by just re just grabbing out, trying to to hold her daughter to to safety just trying to force her to be home at a certain time trying to to you know just hope that she answers the phone every time she's called hope that she checks in you know when her mom would have wanted her to not just when you know it's actually communicated all the time trying to forbid her from seeing a friend (laughs) who keeps being involved in all of the lying Um, yeah because from her perspective the more alice is around her friend the more she lies and the less she communicates (laughs) but in in actuality alice isn't even with the friend which from her mom's perspective would be even worse like yeah yeah (laughs) yeah uh and she 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 tries several times throughout the book to to either be upset at Alice for, you know, again, kind of not having done something when she would have wished it, even if whether or not it was actually communicated. And other times just telling her, like, you're just not gonna, you know, you're not gonna go out there, you're not gonna leave home, you're you're grounded for the day, you're XYZ. And Alice, I, I get the feeling, or it comes through at least to me in the in the in the text. Alice understands she gets it she knows why and it doesn't matter because she has this thing that she thinks is more important from her perspective spoilers (laughs) um uh, spoilers for the next two minutes and then we won't talk about it anymore skip ahead uh from the from alice's perspective the nightmare things that she is fighting killed her father and so she is also trying to defend i mean people in the world but specifically people in her neighborhood in her neck of the woods Mm-hmm. So from Alice's perspective, this is not her, you know, she she is also trying to protect those lives, even if it's not from the same threat. 
and it's a thing that she cares about and it's a thing that she enjoys and it's a you know it's the thing that makes her feel like she has agency over her own life after her dad died all right end of that topic (laughs) there's also i would say there's also a a kind of a feedback loop where the nightmares make yeah the existing issues worse yes Um, yeah explicitly so there was already violence and racism in the neighborhood which then feeds nightmares and then those nightmares make incidents more likely to happen given yeah. that other emotional triggers already existed yeah um and i yeah. i love the i actually narratively really enjoy the push and pull between alice wants agency over her own life and reaches out for this thing that is inherently dangerous her mother wants agency over her child and herself surviving and tries to like clamp down harder and they're both driven by a very similar like need Mm -hmm. and they it's just a clash over and over and over and over hello for our second topic we have house arrest losing using the term house loosely bar arrest uh, a a proximity based uh magical tether restriction yeah Uh, addison (laughs) can't go more than a certain distance into wonderland nor away from the base at the pub um now, this topic is going to involve spoilers because I feel like it's important to mention mm. why he would be restricted in such a manner. Um, okay. I, I I think we're going to touch are, on that just enough these that are this last is a spoiler two topic. chapter spoilers, everybody. Yeah. So, like, if you care about that, and it actually does change how you read the rest of the book if you reread it, skip. Yep. All right. So, Addison... uh ended up on the losing side of the war and defected. And, you know, no one likes a traitor. Um, oh, I'm just mean. It trait. Yeah. I mean, okay. All right. I mean, did he, def- Alice, Alice did he likes defect? Ha- oh, no, he well, did. Yeah, you're right. He had to have because yeah. he was on the other side. He's on the side that didn't win. And he is alive and working for the side that did win. Yeah, fair. So from one perspective, he defected, and from the other perspective, he came to his senses, but not in time. Um, <laughs> from Folio's perspective, she would like to climb the cat tree very noisily in the background. Hello, Folio. Oh, wonderful. Um, <laughs> yes. So part of why we have, like, the house arrest as the trauma is, and not, like, the betrayal or whatever, is because that other stuff is backstory. And what we mm. know of right now the current thing that's happening, even before you know why, is that he can't go into Wonderland very far to help or train Alice, which then puts her in a lot of danger and puts him under a lot of stress as she is one in a in a implicitly long line of t- people that he has trained to do this job and he keeps needing new ones because they get killed and part of why they get killed potentially is implicitly is because he can't go with them and help him and be another sword um 
And also there's the physical pain if he stretches his bonds. Yeah. Um, Which is what we are yes, talking about yes. here. So when I actually find it, it interesting, Robin and I are recording two episodes today and we have, we're talking about two very similar topics and also they're almost exactly identical. <laughs> you leave the house, <laughs> pain. Uh, anyways, okay, any, back to this one. Um, <laughs> that just occurred to me that they are incredibly. Oh, I noticed that when we were making the notes. I mean, you noticed that they were the same top, or you mentioned that they were the same topic. I hadn't put together that they were this similar. Yep. Um, anyway for how it's handled for for hada yeah and also it's fine that we're talking about two similar things because this is not a very common trope for us yeah trauma for us to encounter um all right so hada it's it's interesting the way it's portrayed because you get the feeling that like it could be a lot worse but he knows his limits (laughs) he has experimented he knows how far to go right so it's actually a pretty mild depiction arguably Yeah, it's like you know that it's a thing, and that's part of why I I mentioned that a lot of the pain is going to be, like, emotional pain and and grief from, like, the effect of him not being able to be there, him not being able to go in, him having to, like, fetch help, or having to have someone else get Alice out. Right. Because she gets hurt literally in a place he can't reach. Like. You must go where I cannot follow. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like being, you know, the one sending people into the field and you literally can't retrieve them. Um, and and it's not like a bunch of other people. It's like one other person at a time. <laughs> the lone and soldier you, that you set to die and you're like sitting there all alone. Yeah. And like you can't go get them. So like there's a lot of that kind of um, angst. And, you know, for for those who enjoy... Um, romantic tension in books it does uh help with that no, it's like, gross. oh no you were in danger and i could not help so like you know i actually i actually really i hate the uh, the romantic undertones in anything relating to the two of them i think it's just terrible i think it's gross yeah well then doesn't make me won't. dislike the book but i don't like it <laughs> i uh i i look he is a I, couple thousand years old and she is a teenager it's gross yeah, yeah. I mean, there's 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 content warnings that stick onto things, and yeah, no, no. I I I definitely did notice the goddamn it. Why is she seventeen? But she's about to be eighteen. It does no. <laughs> even if she were eighteen, yeah, this know, is too know, much I of know, an age gap. We're not doing that. Well, unfortunately for you, well, no, because too. Ugh. Yeah. No. <laughs> Bad. <laughs> Really I was glad sweet. that he said no to her. Okay, we're getting off topic. I was glad that anyway. he, he told her no in this book. Yeah, no, because she's still a kid. She's um, okay. <laughs> no, we could have a longer conversation off air. No, this isn't you. what we picked for the topic. Yeah, but um, for those who are interested in that, that does contribute to some of the angst in this. Um, and well, from her uh, perspective, not his. From I her think. perspective, yeah, yeah. Um, cause we, we, I don't think we get his perspective. Isn't the whole, is it? Whole thing, her perspective. Yeah. Yeah. The whole thing's her perspective. Um, yeah, I, he's in such an interesting position because he's in a position of like, 
high responsibility, low trust. <laughs> and also low agency. And low agency, yeah. Like, if he stops doing this and training the people and having people fight nightmares and fighting them himself when he can, like, if he stops doing that, like, implicitly, the people who put him under magical house arrest could arrange something worse. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he's doing the job, and he, he does seem to have, like committed to the side that he switched to but we we get the contrast of um the person who is in charge of the tweedles yeah who um she is in a similar administrative position but I, if I remember correctly, she wasn't a traitor or anything. And she's so not she's limited just, in her movements. She just also has the right. same job. Yeah, she has the same job without that restriction. Um, she's more limited by being based in Russia than she is by like any kind of amount. <laughs> yeah. And I say limited in the sense of like, you have to travel through Wonderland because it's a little trickier to go through the mundane world. That's what I mean by limited. Um and, you know, she has to travel to Addison because he's the one who's stuck. Right. Uh, if they were both unstuck, then it wouldn't feel like a limit, I don't think. But, yeah, yeah. agree. All right. So he gets this he gets this physical pain. I like I really feel like this one is just it's going <laughs> to I'm staking my hat on this. I think it's going to be end up being mild later just because he he does. He knows his limits. He doesn't push it. He's, yes. You know, he's very careful, and also he's very careful to communicate his limits, which I found interesting, because hypothetically, this is a liability for him, mm -hmm. um, especially with his job description. Um, yes. And something, 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 spoilers. Um, right. But he, he is very, he's very open about that with the people that he's working with, including Alice, which I think is an interesting decision to make. Like on the one hand, you could argue like he's has the experience and the power and the age and the, you know, whatever to uh, like stand up and protect himself if something were to come for him. On the other hand, this is his major weakness is that he is stuck to this location and he just tells Alice and he tells her, not only that it exists, but the actual limits and boundaries. And it's implied that the Tweedles know as well, as well as their their manager, you know. It's it's just a very open though I an interesting I like decision. <laughs> I I think that part of why it's a good decision is because it me it discourages Alice and any of the former people that he's been in charge of from going into a situation thinking he's just going to be able to bail them out and then they oh, get absolutely. Over, over their head and he can't. So yeah. I, I think in that, him being very upfront about it is good. But Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with be... his decision. I just think it's an interesting character choice because mm -hmm. there's so many types of characters and worlds and stories that I have read where you know, the default is don't, don't tell, don't tell anybody because someone will get it from them and they will use it against you. And I, I just think that it's an interesting character choice that the author made to have him feel comfortable 
communicating this. Like, communicating it is worth the risk to him. And if I remember correctly, like, part of the trouble that Alice gets into with a particular antagonist is mm. that that antagonist, um, at least initially, confronts her outside yes. of the zone that Haddock can access. Not like, just initially, a couple of times confronted outside of that, several times, actually, confronted outside of I'm, that zone. I don't know if her house is out of that zone. That's I, why I I'm, wasn't referring to her house. No, that's why also why I said initially, because like that's no, the even, later one. Even the yes. ending one is also outside of his range, even if he wasn't incapacitated. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. But yeah, there's several like important ones. Um, yeah. So like clearly enemies know of this weakness. Or this enemy at least. Right. Well, I was more thinking this enemy probably learned it from their higher up. And so, to oh. my mind, that instantly means that there's more than one. Well, I have a theory, um, but I don't... We'll yeah. talk about it later. Yeah, <laughs> I've yeah. not read book two. I'm not really planning to read book two. So, I'll yeah, tell you my fine. theory later. Given which things you like and don't like, that's fine. I am excited for book three. I liked book two, and I'm so excited for book three to come out. Yeah, I, so I struggle reading retellings, generally speaking. I love them. I love them so much. I actually like this one because it deviated so much from the original, but mm -hmm. still. Yeah. Also, like, people get actual names. Ah, it's so nice. <laughs> I, I I do judge Alice in Wonderland retellings by what they do with the Mad Hatter. Like, that's uh, the okay. character that I care about um, very much. And, yeah, what they do with the Mad Hatter and the March Hare, um, but mostly the Hatter, is just kind of, like, my mental gauge. Also, what they do... With incorporating the mirror moment, uh, and this one had a nice one. Yeah, but yeah, that's that's my mental gauge for what I think about Alice in Wonderland retellings. Unless there's something really egregious that doesn't touch on either of those. Uh, yeah, I love retellings. All right, I think we're ready to discuss our third topic. Hello, and on to our third topic of wounds. So, this has a lovely little narrative cycle of go out, get hurt, come back, take potions, go out, <laughs> get hurt, come back, take potions. It's very D&D. Um, yeah. All right, we got a long rest. Oh, no, got to deal with the time skip. <laughs> Oh, gotta check the phone, deal with, as we mentioned in topic one, uh, very worried text messages from mom. Yeah, and so, like, the, the wound care is part of that cycle, and there's a character whose job it is to make potions and things, which is fun. You gotta, gotta have, like, the, the live-in apothecary for any <laughs> adventuring party. It's super Yeah, absolutely. Important. Yeah. Um... And and also, as we had mentioned in the second topic, because Hatta can't go into the field with Alice except under limited close proximity circumstances, it, it we really it really does have the has the like adventurer ventures out alone yeah. and returns to home base cycle, um, which narratively is pleasing because like you get action and then rest and ah uh, just ah uh, so good I like that. Also, that wounds, like, actually take time to heal. Yes. 
and that time then again logistical challenges with her having like an actual life outside of this where her friends and family don't know that this is what she's doing and don't know why she's getting hurt and don't know why she's just out of communication for all of this time it's my initial burble of wound thoughts uh i think it's handled really intelligently really cohesively um you can tell the author is really thinking about like okay practically speaking somebody goes out is missing for a period of time whether it's two hours or two days comes back with wounds how would they handle this how can they cover it up how can they heal you know there's a point there's one point where she gets like pretty seriously injured in her side question mark Mm -hmm. and she has to cover up the fact that she has bandages on (laughs) And, like, she has bandages that are magical bandages and, like, become flesh-colored, but it hurts. You know, she's got an injury and she has to not only care for that injury, but also protect that injury while concealing it. And it's it's not, like, really dwelled on in the book, but the the details that are there, you can tell, like, the author is thinking, okay, what would she have to do? And it's just really well done. Yeah. Especially when she's, like, secretly an adventurer. Right. Like, that's a huge part of this. Like, you can tell from, like, what our topic one was that, like, a huge part of the book is the logistics of, like, she's doing this, her mom doesn't know, and also her mom is there and not dead and would (laughs) notice if she had a gaping wound in her side, so she's gonna conceal that as much as possible. Yeah. And not only are the characters thinking about, like, what would she have to do, but, like, it's it's narratively it's just really well structured so that she's not you know coming home with with blood dripping <laughs> like you know it's it's just it's i just really like it and also like not technically a wound but still like an extremely stressful uh traumatic body thing yeah the crossing into wonderland makes yeah. her sick every time yeah and i uh hate vomit and that's all i want to say about <laughs> that but that's it that's a very stressful thing constantly um, that she has to deal with. It's like just one more thing. Right. Um, I really like, I think it's Maddie, the mouse. Yeah, Maddie. Um, yeah, I, I really like, I like Maddie. I I like, I like how among all the healing potions that she makes for Alice, if she wants to speak coherent English sentences <laughs> instead of Wonderland uh, English gibberish, um, Actually, I don't know what she's... Um, anyway. In order the, to the, translate her words yeah. to f- be able to put them in human speech. Yeah, because it's like, they're all... They're they're generally words in the language that Alice understands, but the order... The, the concept, is, the, con- the, the sentence structure is not really helpful. Yeah. And in order to speak uh, coherently in a way to be understood by people who aren't Wonderland poets... Yeah. She has to like take a potion, but the potion tastes awful, and she only doesn't know what's really important. Like it just, just all these like little m- magic medicine adjacent touches. Yeah, just that the healing potion it works. It's fast. It's not instantaneous. Um, right, and it's almost 
it, when she has more serious wounds, it's not the only thing they're doing either. Mm-hmm. That is most of what I had to say about this topic. Just wanted to just <laughs> emphasize it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, I, you know, wound care in books, you know, some, some people like it, some people don't. I like yeah. it. I like wound care stuff. This isn't, yeah. like, this isn't extremely detailed. Right. But it, it does keep track of the logistics and right. having to deal with the continuing effects. Like um, I, I really like wound care done mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, descriptions of gore and stuff doesn't bother me. This this book doesn't really even have that, but... Yeah. You know, I, I read a lot of, like, military sci-fi and adjacent and, you know, fantasy adventuring stories where they, they do, in fact, get stabbed and poisoned and whatever. And some authors do a really good job, and some authors it's just kind of hand wave, and it either lingers for a long time for no reason or heals instantly for no reason. And I, I appreciate cohesive medicine. <laughs> yeah, like there, there's a reason. Magic, it's faster. It's not instant. Yeah. Nostalgia is one of the strongest forces in the human psyche and is responsible for the continued existence of some of our favorite fandoms. From the minds behind the Dole Up and Dreams podcast and Isolation Cast Voices from Quarantine, Saturday Morning Confidential takes you on a deep dive into the properties that helped influence the artists and creators of today. So whether you are a Goonie, a Gem Girl, a Digi Destined, or you just want to return to Oz... New episodes release on Fridays bi-weekly starting January 1st of 2021. And join us on the Wednesdays after the main show for the Serial Killer Radio Hour, where we sit down with the people responsible for the toys, shows, and fandoms that you love. Now you can find Saturday Morning Confidential at certainpov.com backslash smcpod or on your favorite podcast platforms. So don't forget to tune in for another deep dive into the files of Saturday Morning Confidential. On to the wrap-up and ratings for A Blade So Black by L.L. McKinney. For our first thing, we have the gratuity rating for PTSD. Um, It's not mild. No, it's not mild. Um, Especially because it's accompanied by context a lot of times. Yeah, I'd say moderate. Um, And for anyone who didn't listen to the topic, PTSD is our best guess at what is going on with the character. Um, uh, We think it is an appropriate label, but we also are not uh, psychiatrists or medical professionals. Um, Okay, so... Yeah, I, I do I do think it's moderate. Um yeah, I'm okay with moderate. Yeah. Then I I, for- I wanna note though, it would have been incredibly easy to make this very severe, and I think the author maybe moderated their presentation a little yeah, intentionally. It wouldn't have taken much. Yeah. It's it's moderate, but it it 
it would be harder to make it less graph less um uh stressful <laughs> yeah there there's a lot of uh, surrounding traumas that are severe and that are mentioned when this comes up too like yes. it would yeah. like it's it's difficult to be as non intense as this it ends up being depicted yeah um for the house arrest i actually maybe also moderate we get some pretty graphic stuff sometimes but it's not super intense i would say either moderate or severe because um i I, don't i I don't think it's severe (laughs) okay I think Might I be- think that we could get into this with care, maybe yeah, okay, more. Okay, okay, yeah. I, I think it's I think it's either mild or moderate, and then just more in your face, care wise. Someone almost dies because he can't leave. That is what yeah, makes but, me wonder if it's severe. But that's that's the other trauma happening to them. The, that's okay, not okay, the thing that's point. affecting him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. I'm good with the house arrest as moderate. All right, wounds. Um, I also would put also moderate. Moderate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is a very the this book is a very moderate happens to everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of a yeah. we have stakes, but they're not too much. Kind of a feel. Yes. Not well, reader wise, not too much. Right, oh, yeah, for, sorry for the reader, absolutely. Uh, and the traumas, integral, interchangeable, or irrelevant. I would say that. The PTSD and associated other reactions that they're integral. I, I think I was going to argue interchangeable. Inter- yeah, I was going to argue interchangeable because, like, I think her mom had to react somehow to her disappearing all the time. Oh, there could have been a different reason. Yeah, there could have been a different yeah. reason. There didn't have to be the background that surrounded it. Like, you know, there was other ways to do this and still have a parent who's panicking. She like, could have been plenty stressed just by having her kid disappear constantly. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so, good, okay. Yeah. But not irrelevant. No, 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 I no. I don't no. think. No, yeah. it does. It, it affects the plot explicitly, but it's not yeah. driving it. Yeah. The house arrest is integral. You would need yeah. a substitute so similar as to make no difference. Yeah, or the character would change so drastically that it would be different. Yeah, it'd be a different book completely. Yeah. Uh, I think integral. wounds are weirdly maybe irrelevant. It's yeah. well done, but it's not necessary. Yeah. I mean, if she did the entire book and never got hurt, given the plot, that'd be a little weird. But, I mean, but like, not really, because she could have a whole bunch of narrow escapes that are super common in that genre. <laughs> like, that's, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like hypothetically like i don't think it would change the plot i think it would make the book less but that's not a plot thing right 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 okay yep nope irrelevant works yeah they could have just been narrow escapes yeah um at least or even even canonically deliberately not hurting her kind of things Mm -hmm. yeah all right the moral directionality i think is extremely clear like, the closest we come is another character having been on a different side previously. Like, that's the closest to, like, um, trickiness in the moral directionality. And even then, it's like, was on wrong side, is now on right side. You have jumped entirely over care. Oh my goodness, I did. I'm I so sorry. I agree with you. Hold that thought and don't forget it. I but. <laughs> will hold that thought for later. My apologies. All right, was the trauma treated with care? Uh, for the PTSD, 
Um, I think... I feel like for PTSD... Like, enough? Yeah, enough. I feel like this is one of those where your mileage may vary on how it feels, but I feel like from a just... It could have been treated with much more care, mm-hmm. but it is enough. It's not <laughs> like it, you know, it, it's enough. Yeah. Yeah. Then the house arrest. Yes. I also. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. It's treated with care. It's fine. <laughs> like it's fine in this bit- book. We'll see about the other one we record. Says. <laughs> yeah. Take a um, bit to find out that that's even a thing. Yeah. Like it's yeah. a while before it even affects the plot. Yeah. In a noticeable way. Um, yeah, then and even the- then the character's kind of like, this is a thing, moving on, most of the time. Yeah. Alright, the wounds, I think enough I think care. Yeah, I think enough. Yeah. There's a little bit of a description, it could have been a lot more blasé, it's, it's enough. Yeah. Alright, so then as I was saying, for the moral directionality, uh, I think it's really clear, especially when, as I said, a character who previously had been on a different side... And it's presented as now they're on the right side. I have one tiny little pushback, but it's not really a pushback. It's just a clarification that we need to, I think, address, even if we say clear. Um, Alice's mom pushing her to leave it alone is also justified. Um, And and her friend telling her not to get hurt also justified. And I, I think... The only thing with moral directionality is that when we have characters who have opposing standpoints and they are both presented as correct, we don't mm. label it clear. That's and true. We call it tangled. But we do. <sighs> but I. But this the thing. I'm not saying it's not clear. I'm saying we should at least consider that possibility that those are maybe enough. Because we, let's mm. be real, we don't no, actually right. have a large cast in this book. So two or three characters who are in op- opposition is like a third of our characters. That might be enough to make it tangled. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I do. I do agree. Especially when should Alice leave the house is like a huge thing, <laughs> like a big deal. Yeah. It's like okay. Nope. I. Uh, you're right. Uh, I. I concede, and I do think tangled. Yes. Um. We understand why everyone's doing what they're doing, and yeah. it is hard to agree with Alice and her mom and make a decision. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, actually, I do want to point out, I do want to note, Tangled, but if we had like double this many characters, it would just be clear again because there's just not enough characters... You know what I'm saying? Right. Like those would there's, stop feeling there's like so, super There's so few. There's like, I'm just not going to name names. I'm just going to count. There's like four... Five, six, seven, eight, nine. T- I think there's 10, 12? 12 characters in total. Done. That's it. Everybody in the book. <laughs> like, yeah. so when two people are like, no, you should stop, that's, yeah. that's enough. That becomes tangled. Yeah. Them versus the nightmares, really clear. Like, yes, super yes, yes. duper clear. Right. But yeah. Right. But that's not the only thing happening. That's true. So, no. Thank you for bringing that point up. That, that yes, I, I agree. <laughs> and I do realize that literally two minutes ago I said, actually, no, I agree with you 100%. And then I thought about it <laughs> and I was like, wait, hold on a second. Now, this is important. <laughs> so, see, it's good that I said it early because then you thought for an extra <laughs> minute and then realized. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> I was yeah. like, oh, no, hold on. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, point of view for the trauma and aftermath it's Alice the whole time, which means that yep. it is. Uh, that the uh, house arrest and PTSD. 
that we specifically were talking about was happening to other people, and the wounds were mostly but not only happening to Alice. And, alright, for the trope spotter, the trope is black swords are better. Uh, it's a rule of cool kind of a thing <laughs> going on. Uh, I mean, the book's literally called A Blade So Black. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's exciting. Love cool, cool swords. Um, alright, what's your favorite non-traumatic thing about the book? Hada's backstory that we get eventually <laughs> that I'm not going to specify. <laughs> Mm-hmm. it's a spoiler i think it's really good i think it's good writing i think it's good narrative i like it as a decision because it makes that character make more sense yeah as i mentioned i think in topic two but now i do not recall uh i i like um i tend to judge alice in wonderland retellings based on how they handle the mad hatter and how they handle the mirror moment mm-hmm. i love the mirror moment for this and by mirror moment um for anyone who is not already familiar with alice in wonderland um so alice in wonderland like it's there's two books there's alice's adventures in wonderland and then there's through the looking glass and they're like they're two separate books it's two separate trips to wonderland Mm -hmm. most adaptations handle this by at some point having Alice interact with mirrors or stepping through a mirror, passing through it in a plot significant way, in a way that echoes the beginning of Into the Looking Glass. Mm. And I like the way that this handles mirrors, um, both incorporating them earlier in the story than some adaptations do, and also by having a specific, like, reaching into a mirror, like, moment um, that echoes that. So anyway, uh, that's that was my favorite thing is how that was handled in here. Can I just say, so I used to, I think I gave it away, own um, a duo, duology of the two. Mm-hmm. And they're usually sold together. Yeah. I had not in my head reconciled the fact that those are two different books until literally right now, because in my head, the book is titled Alice in Wonderland Through the Looking Glass. <laughs> because that's just what i was reading over and over as a child um so that's kind of funny i'm I'm glad you actually brought that up yeah they're often sold as a single volume um because of that because like it is like two bits uh, yeah but they're they're technically two complete stories right Um, i just don't think like 10 year old me really grasped that um, at the moment um the tweedles are Think I think they're in Through the Looking Glass. They're not in Alice in Wonderland. All the chessboard stuff and the night stuff, like that's all in the second one. I think I only really paid attention to Into the Looking Glass because I, I remember the movies for Alice in Wonderland, but all book plot elements that I remember are things that you're yeah, labeling like the, as Looking Glass. The queen, the, 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 well, okay, so the red queen is a chess thing and she's in this. So the first book is about playing cards and the second book is about chess. That's, uh, like, the easy way to remember what's in which book. Where is the um, Caterpillar? The first one. He's in the... Okay. Yeah, he, he's in Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. And yeah, the so Mad the Hatter is... The first one. Yeah, the Mad... Okay, yeah. so I do remember some plot of- elements from... Okay, yeah, so yeah. I'm remembering the, the mix. <laughs> the, all the off-with-their-heads bit, that's all in the first one. Um, okay. The baby turning into a pig, that's in the first one. 
but okay the, yeah i think i just kind of blended them as like first part second part of plot and not yeah. really internalized that they were totally different the tweedles and the rattle and the night that and the the i think the i don't remember which one the flowers are in i think because there's also plant stuff with the living chessboard, but I don't remember mm. if the talking flowers are also in the first book or if they're just in the second one. But anyway, gotcha. uh, yeah, so I, I like how this handles a bunch of those things, um, including but not limited to the mirror moment. So, uh, but yeah, thank you so much for joining us, everyone. For this discussion of A Blade So Black by L.L. McKinney. And we will catch you in the next episode. All music used in this podcast was created by Nicole as Heartbeat Art Co. and is used with permission. Our transcriptionist is Heather. You can find her on Twitter at MamaDragon20 or on TikTok at MamaDragons underscore Den. We're proud members of the Certain Point of View network of podcasts. Check out all the Certain POV shows at www.certainpov.com. Please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash books that burn. If you can't wait for the next episode and need even more book related content in your life, check out our book review blog reviews that burn subscribe to the fortnightly newsletter or follow us on the story graph you can contact us by email at books that burn at yahoo.com and find all our links contact info and social media on our card books that burn.carrd.co don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and remember some books burn you